welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text message at 209-340-3115. Have an amazing rest of your day. Well, good morning, Shelter Cove. Great to be with you today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and somebody will find you with a copy of God's Word. Galatians 1. I'm very, very excited. We are starting a brand new series in the book of Galatians. And so this is going to be great. So as you're turning to Galatians 1, uh, years ago, I attended college in the state of Virginia. Now, I am a huge History buff. I love American history. There is no better state to be in if you're a history buff than the state of Virginia because there's so much to see, so many historical spots around there. In fact, just a short distance from our campus, I could go to Appomattox Courthouse where the Civil War ended. I could go to Monticello where Thomas Jefferson lived. I could go to uh, St. John's Church in Richmond where Patrick Henry delivered his famous give me liberty or give me death speech. I could go to the coast. I could visit Jamestown, the first English settlement in the New World. I could go to Yorktown, where the American Revolution came to an end. But if you really wanted to visit the six flags of American history, you make the trip to D.C., Washington, D.C. Wasn't that far, and I would go once or twice a year. Every year I was in college, I saw pretty much everything there was to see in Washington and our nation's capital. You know what my favorite site in Washington was? Not the Capitol. Not, not the White House, not Ford's Theater, not the Smithsonian. My favorite attraction was the National Archives. Why? Because in the National Archives, there was something that made all the other historical sites in D.C. possible. As I walked into the great room of the National Archives, right down the center there, I could see it. It was under dim lights. It was beneath bulletproof glass. It was a document. It was the Declaration of Independence. And as I approached that document with great solemnity, I I drew in a breath and I pondered what I was looking at, that this was something I'd seen about, uh, seen, heard, uh, learned about my entire life. And I looked at it. I remember thinking it was larger than I expected it to be. It was much older than I expected it to look. Uh, The parchment almost appeared to be like ancient papyrus. It looked so old. The, The writing was so faded, and yet I was making out the very handwriting of Thomas Jefferson. I remember the guide as he described how this document came into being. He said, Thomas Jefferson slaved away for 17 days, honing, crafting, meticulously wordsmithing this document in a sweltering rented room just a few blocks from the State House in Philadelphia. And he said, there are two things, two reasons why our nation has come into being. It's because, number one, of the blood shed by patriots... And number two, it's because of the words of this document right here, our declaration of independence from Great Britain. Folks, what I want you to understand today is that the Christian life has come into being because of two things. Number one, the blood shed by a hero, a God-made flesh by the name of Jesus Christ. And number two, because of the words of a document, a divine 
revelation of God, the Holy Scriptures, and within that greater document there is a letter, and that letter is called the book of Galatians. And I want you to see right away that Galatians is the Christian declaration of independence. It declares our freedom from law and works. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to read the key verse of the book of Galatians. This is not from our text this morning. This is from further on in the book. Just take a look at this on the screen. It's Galatians 5.1, the key verse. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Would you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the many, many freedoms that we enjoy as Americans God, uh, but the freedoms that we enjoy here are uh, granted to us by man-made documents uh, that, that, are, that are noble, but because of their human origin, our freedoms can be trampled upon, God. But there is a freedom that every Christian enjoys that is eternal because it comes from you, and no one can take it from us, and we must live it out and embrace it each and every day. And we ask your blessing upon our time together in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I'm very excited about the book of Galatians. Why is this book so special? Did you know this is the first letter ever written by the Apostle Paul? Most of your New Testament is comprised of letters that Paul wrote. This is the first one. He wrote it on his first missionary journey, or just after his first missionary journey. Paul took three missionary journeys. Uh, the, The second missionary journey, he was basically in Europe. Okay, he went to Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, he went to Berea, he went to Athens and Corinth, there in Greece. He was essentially in Europe. His third missionary journey, he was in in western Turkey. He was on the edge of the Bosphorus there, very near Ephesus, uh, where he spent three years doing discipleship. But his first missionary journey, he was in what we would call eastern Turkey. And he went to a place called Antioch, and he went to a place called Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and this was Asia Minor the region called Galatia. And the word Galatia comes from the name of the people who lived there. And they were called the Gauls. The Gauls, all right? Uh, What does that word mean, Gaul? It comes from a word that means milk. And it's used interchangeably with the word white. Why were these people called the Gauls? Because these were the white people. I think the original language renders it as those who cannot jump, okay? These were (laughs) the white folks. Okay, and uh, they were one of many Germanic tribes that came down from the north. You had the Gauls and the Celts and the Goths and the Vandals and that whole bunch. And they came out of the north. They were chased out of there by Attila the Hun. You remember that guy? And they came down to the safety of the Roman Empire. And these were warlike people. And they were employed by the Romans as mercenaries. The, the, the Romans paid foreigners to fight their battles. And so these, these Germanic tribes were considered these uh, barbarians. The word barbarian refers to someone who does not speak Greek. We got some barbarians in here? <laughs> All right. Yeah, they were, they were called the barbarians. They were uncivilized. They were primitive. They didn't speak Greek. They were, they were uncouth. They were rough people. Galatia, the land of the rough crowd, and that's where Paul decided to go on his first missionary journey. If you lived in Paul's time and he told you, hey, I'm going to Galatia on a mission trip, you'd be like, really? Good luck with that, you know, because that, that, nobody wants to go up there. And they had a rough time. Paul and Barnabas got there, and they right away they preached the gospel, and they healed this cripple, and these primitives think they're gods. 
And they start calling Barnabas Zeus, and they call Paul Hermes, and they try worshiping them and sacrificing to them. And these guys from Antioch came in. They didn't like what Paul is doing, so they stoned him. And he, he, he appears to die. They drag his body outside the city, and God supernaturally revives him. And so they, they really went through it. You might remember a guy named John Mark in the, in the scriptures. John Mark was a young associate of Paul, drove a wedge between Paul and Barnabas, they were divided over John Mark. Why? Because John Mark abandoned them. He skedaddled. How come? Because he went to Galatia and saw these primitive peoples. He's like, nope, I'm out. And he took off. This was a rough, rough area. Despite that, God blessed Paul's journey to Galatia. There was massive revival. There were conversions, droves and droves of people coming to faith. It was a raging success. And Paul returned back home, and the Bible says they celebrated what God had done. But in the absence of Paul, up in Galatia, what happened next? There arose the first heresy of the Christian church. There was a false teaching that moved in. First time this happened in church history. Here's how it unfolded. These Christian Jews, or Jewish Christians, I don't know how you'd phrase it, but they came in, and they didn't like what they saw, and they said, Oh, you, uh, you, you Galatians, you're, you're worshiping our Messiah. Well, that's nice. That's good. But you know, that's, that's incomplete. That's, that's not the full gospel. Paul didn't tell you you're supposed to follow the law. You have to follow the law. Yes, it's great that you're believing in Christ, but you also, all you men, you need to be circumcised to be saved. And you need to follow this strict dietary code. And you gotta, you got to follow the feast days and the fast days. And basically, they taught them that they had to be Jews. Now, I don't think these were Christians at all. I think that these were traditional Jews. I think they hated Paul. I think they hated the gospel. I think they got there, and they didn't like what they saw. These Gentiles are worshiping the true God, Yahweh, and they're, they're adopting this biblical morality and marriage in the home and all of this stuff, and they felt like they're losing their national identity and so they felt, if you can't beat Paul, let's join him. And we'll adopt Christianity. But we'll basically make it Judaism. And we'll win that way. And so they undermined everything that Paul had taught them. They undermined the character of Paul himself. They said, you know, he's not, a, he's not an apostle. You know that, right? He's, not, he's an offshoot of the 12. He couldn't make it as one of the 12. So he comes up here to you illiterates, and he's just trying to gain his own following. So they discredit Paul's message, and they discredit Paul himself. And Paul hears about what's going on. Now, the missionary journey that he took up there is covered in Acts 13 and 14, but in Acts 15, you have something called the Council of Jerusalem. And that was when all the apostles got together, and Paul uh, discusses with them this heresy that has sprung up. And they decide, this cannot stand. And they swiftly move into action to stomp out this heresy. And they were right to do so because if they had not done so, Christianity would have died in the crib. And they had to move. Why? Because these Jewish people were coming in and they were saying, it's faith plus law. Folks, listen to me. Faith plus anything equals nothing. And so they had to do something. And so Peter stands up at this council and he says, this is our creed. And they adopted what was called the first apostles' creed. We are saved by grace and faith. That's it. And the historic Christian creed was developed right there. And then they commissioned Paul, write a letter and send this missive out to all the churches of Galatia. And folks, that is the book that we are studying, the book 
of Galatians. It addresses this heresy right here. And here's how it begins. In our first text, 1 through 10 of chapter 1, Paul is going to establish four things. Four things. First of all, he establishes the authority behind the gospel. Take a look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. That pretty much nails his authority right there. He covers it. This is where his authority comes from. He says, I'm not here because some man sent me. I'm not here because a group of men sent me. I'm not here on my own accord. I'm here because God sent me. He says, the words I am saying to you come from the throne of God above. And so the nonsense that we hear in different quarters today that the Bible never really claims to be inspired. It never really claims to be from God. It's just a man-made document. Paul makes it clear right here that what he is saying is not from him, it's from God. And he says this repeatedly in all of his epistles. And he says, I am an apostle. They had undermined him. They said he's not an apostle. He goes, I'm an apostle. What's the requirement for an apostle? An apostle was someone who had been an eyewitness to the risen Christ. Does that describe Paul? Absolutely. You might recall, he was once known as Saul of Tarsus. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. And we read in Acts, as he is on the road to Damascus, he's going there to enslave more Christians, and the risen Jesus encounters him, strikes him blind, confronts him. Why are you persecuting me? Shortly thereafter, Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, is converted and becomes Paul, the church's greatest missionary. And so he meets the requirement. He says, I am an apostle. What business do you have writing this letter, Paul? All the business in the world. A couple nights ago, I went to a football game up in Hamilton City. My son was playing ball for, uh, for Big Valley. It was a road game. So I went up there, and uh, it was an exciting game. At the half, it was tied up. Hayden's a running back. And um, at half, I went. I found the concessions. I found the restrooms. And I, I came back. Second half is just getting underway. They're kicking off to us. And I get to the bleachers, and I hear a commotion. And I turn around, and my son has received the ball at about the 15, and he is taken off down the field, and he is blitzing through their defense. And it becomes apparent he's going to go all the way. Now, I have made a habit. I'm very careful about video recording on my phone all of the offensive plays so I can show my son later. And I'm missing this, and it's a big moment. And so when he runs by me instinctively, I just start running with him. <laughs> and so I'm on the sideline keeping up with my son. I'm matching him stride for stride. It's just father and son, two grims, heading for the end zone, baby. <laughs> but only one of us would make it. Because I hit a wet patch of grass. I pull a hammy and I go down like a sack of potatoes. I went end over end. My hat came off. I crunched my shoulder. And, and because I was embarrassed, I did one of those ninja ups. I sprung up like, eh, I meant to do that, you know? <laughs> but I realized my shoulder is messed up. And not only that, I've totally knocked the wind out of myself. You ever done that? I thought, I thought I was going to pass out. I was going, ah, ah, ah. Somebody came up to me. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not okay. I like going out my ah. You know? I finally caught my breath. And I, I, later I was watching the game on the sidelines. I took no more video that night. And uh, Hayden ended up coming out. He tweaked his ankle. And the trainer came up. He goes, hey, here's, a, here's an ice pack for the ride home for your son's ankle. I go, that's great. You know, uh, you got an extra 
ice pack. His ankle looks bad. It might need two, you know. What business does a 48-year-old man have trying to keep up with a thoroughbred like that? Zero. Not this one, anyway. What business did Paul have writing this letter? All the business in the world. And he says, it's not just me. He goes on. He says, and all the brothers who are with me. He goes, it's the 12. It's Peter. It's everybody. This is our creed. We have discussed this, and this is what we believe. And this letter goes out, and he says, this is to the churches of Galatia. That's, that's plural. This is not a letter to one single church. You read Philippians, that's to the church at Philippi. You read 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, that's to the church at Thessalonica. And they distributed these letters, but it's very specific and intentional that this is to all y'all up in Galatia. Because it's important. You need to hear this. So he establishes all of that. And then number two, he establishes the essentials of the gospel. The essentials. And this would, this would find its way into the greetings of every letter he would write. All right, look at verse three. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is establishing some things here. God will become the father of all who believe in his son. And it is his son, number verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Is that essential to the gospel? Folks, you, can't, you have no gospel without this concept that he gave himself for our sins. You call that the atonement. That is the idea that he went to the cross on our behalf. It is a substitutionary death in our place for our sins. He died for us. In verse one, it says that God raised him from the dead, but why had he died? He died for our sins. And then he goes on. It says, why? To deliver us from the present evil age. So it's, it's clear that his death is necessary to rescue us from our sin, from this evil age in which we live. And notice, it's according to the will of our God and Father. All right? And so some Christians say Jesus' death was just a, it was an unfortunate incident. It was, it was an injustice perpetrated. You know? It was just wicked men who put him to death, and it should never have happened. And they say the notion that God would design for it to happen or demand that he, his son be sacrificed, that's, that's, that's not a God that we would ever want to serve. Folks, I'm here to tell you the Scripture makes it clear that the person who put God on the cross was, excuse me, uh, uh, Jesus on the cross was God. It was his will. In the garden, Jesus said, your will be done as he faced Calvary. And what is the ultimate end of it all? It's right here. Next verse. It says, to him be the glory forever and ever. The ultimate purpose of Christ's death on the cross is not even our salvation. Our salvation is a means to this end, the glory of God primary purpose in all of history. Why? Because he's God. He deserves all the glory. And so in the first two sentences, Paul says, I am not from men. I'm not sent by men. I'm sent from God himself. Secondly, what I am preaching is the message of God that Christ died, that he rose, that he saves, that it's the will of God for it to happen that way. And ultimately, it's for the glory of God. Those are the essentials right there. And then the third thing he establishes is the exclusivity of the gospel. The exclusivity. Paul offers now a stern rebuke. Look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished. 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He says, let me tell you what I think about your departure from the message that you received. I, I, am, I am flabbergasted. I am flat out amazed that you are ditching this. If you want to write something in your margin, write disbelief. Paul cannot fathom why they are abandoning this message. He says, you saw with your own eyes. You saw me stoned and left for dead. And God raised me up. You saw the lame walk. You saw miracles. You saw people come to faith. And now here's what you're leaving. You're leaving a gospel where you are called by the grace of God. You have been saved by God, crediting his own righteousness as a free gift. You don't earn it. Where you are sealed, where you are converted, where you have a promise to be raised from the dead. And you're leaving that for what? For a gospel of works? Where it all depends on you? These things are not equal. It would be like if you gave me a Mustang Shelby GT500. Now that's a sweet car. And you said, this is paid for. I'm covering insurance. Enjoy. And I say, thanks. And you say, you're welcome. And then the next time you see me, I pull up in a Ford Pinto. You remember the Ford Pinto, anybody? The famous exploding car. It had a design flaw. Whenever uh, it would get hit in, an, in a collision, the fuel tank would rupture and they'd blow up. People died driving Ford Pintos. And you'd see me pulling up and you'd go, what are you doing? Do you know what a Mustang is? Why are you driving this rolling grenade? doesn't make any sense. That is the incredulity that Paul has here. He goes, I'm stunned. You've left a religion of biblical prophecy. You've left a religion of the incarnation of God, uh, the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection of Christ, conversion by faith, sealing of the Holy Spirit, resurrection from the dead, the second coming, life everlasting from alpha to omega, and you're leaving it for what? Something where it depends on you. How stupid can you get? And yet, People do this all the time. They add to the faith. Faith plus baptism. Faith plus communion. Faith plus church attendance. Faith plus works. The reason that you have faith in Christ is because you are not enough. Everybody say, I am not enough. There's a popular phrase out there. I hear it. I am enough. You are enough. No, you're not. You are not. Remotely. But the reason anyone would add works is because on some level they don't think Christ is enough. And he is. Paul says in Romans eleven six. 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. That is the definition of grace. You don't add anything to grace. Once you add something to grace, it's not grace. The offer is withdrawn. And Paul says in verse 6 that you are turning to a different gospel. There's a Greek word, heteros. It means another of a different kind. If I have a man and a woman, I say this is a male, and this one over here is another of a different kind, heteros. Okay? If I have a man and a man, the word is alos, another of the same kind. Okay? Guess which word is used here? It's heteros. You have another of a different kind. It's a different gospel. No, no, Paul, it's the same gospel. It's just you know, we've got Judaism. as a, It's not the same. It is not the same. It is 100 degree, 180 degrees the opposite way. And he says this is not only different, it's disturbing. Look at verse 7. 
He says, not that there's another one. (laughs) It's not a real gospel. Uh, But there are some who trouble you, who disturb you. The word there means to to trouble like, like a storm at sea. It roils up something. You're unsettled by this message right here. Uh, I grew up a uh, Southern Baptist, and we sang hymns every week. We had hymnals. We didn't look at screens. We, we held hymnals, and we sang the hymns, right? And I, the one, one of my favorites was, uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That gives you joy. Why? Because there's assurance. You don't have assurance, you don't have joy. Assurance equals joy. No assurance, anxiety. There's no joy. If you're on a plane heading for Hawaii, you're on the runway, you're buckled in, you're all excited, can't wait to get there, tropical paradise, captain comes over the speakers, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, we're glad to have you on this flight to Hawaii, and uh, uh, we think you're really going to enjoy Hawaii. Well, that is, of course, if we get there. I mean, you know, the plane only has one engine, and let's face it, the landing gears don't always work. I'd say it's about 50-50 that we get there. Well, enjoy your flight. I think your joy is gone at that point because you've lost your assurance. And when someone comes to this notion that they're not secure in Christ, you're always uneasy because it depends on you and you're not dependable. So this gospel is disturbing. Not only that, he says they don't only want to disturb you, they want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's a word here, metastrefo, it means to turn. Uh, it's used when Peter's preaching, he says one day the, the, the moon will be turned to blood. Okay, it's, it's 180 degrees the opposite. It's a total distortion of what it's intended to be. Uh, the gospel is like a clear pool, and in it is, is a perfect reflection of Christ. If you add anything to that pool, you drop a pebble in there, the reflection is distorted. And it becomes something it was not intended to be. And Paul says it doesn't matter who's presenting this pseudo-gospel. He says, look at verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. I don't care if it's me, Peter, Barnabas, whoever. Michael the archangel could come down. If he's preaching something other than what you first received, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. You know what that means? That means whoever's preaching that ain't a Christian. And if you receive what they're saying, you're not a Christian. And he repeats this. Verse 9, as we've said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says it twice in a row. That's how vital this is. we got to squash this now. Because we must agree on the essentials of the gospel, on the basics. We've got to agree that all men are inherently sinful. We've got to agree that there is a God who is three in one, and one of those persons is the Son. He sent him to earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He paid the price for your sin at Calvary. You receive that gift of grace by faith. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. Jesus rose from the grave physically, and one day, because of his spirit living in you, you will rise from the grave. Those are the essentials of the gospel. We have to agree on those. Now, we don't have to agree on everything. 
There's a whole lot of other stuff, faith matters, that we don't have to agree on. You can come into Shelter Cove and we can fellowship and you can serve here and we can disagree on stuff. Uh, I'm a young earth creation guy. You might believe that the earth is billions of years old. We can still fellowship. You can still serve alongside me. I'm not a five-point Calvinist. Maybe you are. We could still fellowship. You could still serve alongside me. I'm a pre-tribber. You might be a post-tribber. We could still fellowship. You're wrong, but we could still fellowship. <laughs> All right? Now, you come in here, you start spewing this stuff that it's not by grace that you're saved. Or maybe it's grace plus works. You start teaching that, there's no fellowship in that. In fact, we'll ask you to move on down the road. Can't have that here because that's heresy. Okay, We got to agree on the essentials. And yet there's a lot of people with exposure to Christianity Years and years go by and they're in the church and they struggle and they don't, they don't fully grasp the truth of all this. I remember years ago I worked in a bank and, uh, whoop, there we go. Hold on one second. Hmm. Hey, I had a coworker at this bank that I worked at. I was part-time at the bank and I was part-time at this church locally. And this uh, coworker and I were sitting in the break room and he finds out I work part-time at a church. He says, which church? I tell him. He goes, oh, really? I said, he said, I'm looking for a church. He said, there was a church I was visiting a while back, and I tried to join it, but they, they wouldn't let me join. I said, really? Why? He said, ah, they said I wasn't a Christian. And so we started talking. I, he started saying some stuff, and I quickly deduced that, no, he probably was not a Christian. And so I asked him, I said, let me, let me ask you a question. If you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? He said, right now? I said, right now. He goes, right now. <laughs> yeah, I believe if I died right now, I would, I would go to heaven. I said, okay. I said, if, if you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what, what would you say? Man, he thought about that and thought about that. Now, if you're a Christian, you don't have to think about that answer. But he took his time and he said, you know what? I, I, I think I'd ask him if I could have more time. I said, time for what? I said, time to be what you're, what you're not? I said, tell me, have you ever sinned? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, you know what? You're not alone. And I took a piece of paper, and I drew a picture. And I say, now here's you, and here's God on these opposing cliffs. Now, that's a, that's a fur piece right there. That's, that's probably about 30 miles. You're not going to make that. You're not going to jump that. Now, you say that you've sinned. Well, we all have, because Romans 3 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that's, that's a problem because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, and that means hell. So we're all in the same boat. Now man has tried to get across this chasm by building planks out. And he does the best he can, and these planks are based on religion, and they're based on morality, and they're based on philosophy, but none of them can reach across. And if you go to the edge of those planks, eventually you're going to still plummet down into the chasm right there. But do you know what God did for you? He said, what? I said, God, from his side, made a bridge. And then I took my pen, and I drew down the center, and I drew cross. I said, let me, let me ask you, have your hands ever done something they shouldn't have? He said, yeah. 
I said, there were some hands nailed to that cross. I said, have your feet ever done something? Have they ever gone somewhere they shouldn't go? He said, yeah, they have. I said, well, there were some feet nailed to that cross too. I said, has your head ever thought things it shouldn't think? You ever hatched any sinful plans in your mind? He said, yeah, I have. I said, well, there was a head on this cross, and it had a crown of thorns on it. I said, have you ever turned your back on God? He said, I sure have. I said, well, there was a back laid on this cross, and it bore the stripes of the scourging that it endured for you and I. I said, have you ever closed your heart to God? He says, yeah, I have. I said, well, there was a heart that had a big old gaping wound in it because it took the spear for you and for me. I said, do you know who did this for us? And I drew a sign on the top of that cross. I said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's what God did for you. I said, now, here you are, right over here on this side. God's on the other side. What do you gotta do to get across? He goes, I gotta, I gotta walk over that bridge. I said, that's right. Now, I said, do you trust that bridge? He says, yes. I said, would you like to invite Jesus into your life right now? He couldn't pray fast enough. And right there in the break room of First Premier Bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, he trusted Jesus as his savior. Folks, that's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's a simple message. You don't add to that. You don't add to it. The final thing that Paul establishes, number four, is the cost. The cost of the gospel. Verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, why is Paul saying this? Because these Judaizers have defamed him. They've said he's not a true apostle. He's just taking advantage of you. He's just telling you what you want to hear. He's giving you a lawless gospel. He's tickling your ears. It's easy believism. Now, listen, easy believism is a thing. There are people who engage in that today. But easy believism is when you theoretically believe in Christ but you just live however you want. That is not what Paul was teaching. There's a difference between that and the understanding that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And Paul says, you think this is easy? I'm not, I don't care about what men think of me. I'm here for God. This isn't easy. I've been stoned and left for dead. My converts are persecuted. There's violence and riots everywhere I go. There's nothing easy because we walk a narrow road. We walk a narrow road. Wide is the road of those who depend on self. The world likes to paint itself as the rebels, as the counterculture to religion. Listen to me. There's nothing more counterculture. There's nothing more revolutionary than to be a, a Christ follower. You want to be unique? You want to go against the grain? You sell out to Jesus Christ. There are challenges, but it's the most freeing thing you will ever know because he is the source of true freedom and eternal life. Would you bow with me? You may be sitting here this morning and you may be like that fella in the break room at that bank. You, you perhaps once thought that if you were to go at a certain point in time, you might just be good enough to make it to heaven. But you know better now. 
and you know that there's but one way into the fellowship of Almighty God, and that's through Jesus Christ. If that's you and you're ready, and you've never trusted him as Savior, but you want to right now in this moment, I would like to invite you where you are with nobody looking to pray this prayer. And it's not the words of this prayer, it's the sentiment of your heart. It's the decision that you're making to turn your life over to Christ. But you can use this as a vehicle for that. You can pray, Dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I know there's no way to earn your favor. But I believe that you made a way for me by dying for my sin. And I am trusting in that way right now for my eternity. And I entrust my soul to you. And I want to follow you. Would you come into my life? With nobody looking, if you prayed that prayer and this is the first time you've ever made that decision, I want you to just slip up your hand. If you've made that decision today, Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, look up here, everybody. There were some people today that trusted Christ as Savior. We want to rejoice in that. We rejoice welcoming you to the family. If you made that decision, this is not a journey that we want you to take alone. Not only is the Lord with you, we're with you. This is your your family.